and welcome to another wonderful, extra special, super spectacular, fantastical episode of Normandy FM. We are here for the Final Fantasy X season. Folks, I know it's been a little bit of time. I know we're still getting used to the uh, the bi-weekly output, but uh, it feels good to be back. It feels good to be here. Of course, I am Eric Van Allen, one of your co-hosts alongside Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how are you doing? feel like after years of training, I have finally become a summoner. You, you finally become a summoner. Yeah. Can, did you did you have to stay in a room for for many days while your blue lion friend stood outside <laughs> waiting and watching? I did. Finally, I'm glad that video games are letting you live out your dreams in mm-hmm. that way. You know, it's about time. You the know who else loves? I've been to... waiting for. <laughs> you know who else loves to live out their dreams in video games? We've got Suriel Vasquez here. Suriel, how are you doing today? Hi. Uh, I have a strange relationship with my dad as well. You know, he's just, <laughs> everyone thinks he's so cool. He's like, everyone is like, oh, wow, your dad is a real cool guy, but I don't know about you. And I'm just like, <laughs> I just give him the double middle fingers, man, because I don't care. <laughs> it must have made all the, the family reunions very awkward when that subject kept coming up. Yeah, I mean... The bandana is such a thing, and he, everyone talks about the bandana. I'm just like, no, I'm just going to wear my really weird pants, and I don't care. <laughs> my weird mesh pants. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know mesh the word for it. Like, they, I mean, they the, look like I, those things you climb. Partially mesh. I'm going to play my uh, weird, obscure sport, which in my case is lacrosse. But, uh, yeah, I'm just doing whatever, man. It's not a phase, Dad. Blitzball's a real thing. That's right. <laughs> they, have, they have tournaments for it now. Oh, God. I'm It'll be around flashbacks. in a thousand years. <laughs> is what I tell everyone. <laughs> you'll see. You'll know. In a oh. thousand years, you'll know. You'll, you'll still be around, and we'll know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, For the folks at home, Serial, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what, what you do, who you are, where you come from, where do you go. Well, what do you like about Final Fantasy X, Cotton Eye Joe? What the fuck did you just call it? <laughs> what? What'd you call it? What'd you call this game? Oh my, we're going to start this thing. Look, I already made one concession in terms of the name of the protagonist. That's the other thing, by the way, Serial. You have to tell us, uh, how do you pronounce the name of the protagonist of this game? That's an important <laughs> point that we're introducing this season. <laughs> I always pronounce it Titus because of the comedian Christopher Titus, who I was a fan of back when I was a kid. But there we go. Do people yeah. say his name in the actual game? I, no, I, no. That's the thing is in Final Fantasy X, uh, the protagonist's name is never spoken because you can change their name. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but well, in everything, so, like Dissidia, every other like thing other than Final Fantasy X that has come since, they call him Titus. Yeah. Hmm. I, look, hmm. I, I'm willing to abide by whatever pronunciation. Well, I, I appreciate want. that because I I'm, get fucking weird people that they try and get like instead of just like <laughs> saying his fucking name, they'll come up with all these reasons why the game is wrong. Actually, <laughs> I'm not. Hey, I never said the game is wrong because the game doesn't say anything. I'm saying those those other games are wrong, but Final Fantasy X is not wrong. Final Fantasy X is a great game, and I call it Final Fantasy X sometimes because when we get to x2 it's gonna get confusing because then we're using two different number like numbering systems for the game and it gets confusing to me so i always look at it and think x2 which is what you should think when you look at that combination of drawings of symbols rather than 10 2 
Uh-huh. It is a very weird. It, it, they really did that to themselves, though. I, they did. I have no sympathy for Square. They did. They did. You can't. You can't be like, here's Roman numerals and then a normal number. <laughs> yeah. And and expect that to just fly. <laughs> Although to be fair, I think if they had said the the anagram of this game is F F X dash I I. I think people would have been livid. I oh, think it, yeah, that, it would have been that worse. Have, that would have been, been one terrible. of those like, oh, of course Square would name their game something weird. Can you imagine what the SEO would have been like when it came time for like Final Fantasy twelve? It would have just ruined it all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but but for real, uh, Serial, tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you got uh, attached to Final Fantasy ten in the first place. Uh, I am a uh, video game writer, uh, consultant, and podcaster for. Uh, MinMax, who, which is a Patreon and podcast network you can go check out at patreon.com slash MinMax with two N's. Uh, I also review games uh, for outlets like Polygon, and I do some consulting stuff on the side. Uh, in terms of Final Fantasy, uh, it was actually, uh, 10 was actually my first one. I remember um, going to Walmart, and it was the game in the demo kiosk, and I just mm. played it, and I was looking something... I was looking for something to play on my PS2, and mm-hmm. I remember putting a pin in it because I didn't have enough money to get it. And then my brother, my oldest brother, uh, he was in the Navy, and at one point he came home and had one of like he had the the greatest hits version of the game, and he was like, hey, "Well, I'm I don't need this. I already beat it. So I'm whenever I leave, you can just have it." Uh, and so I played through Final Fantasy X then and fell in love with it it was uh one of it is still one of my favorite games probably my favorite rpg that i've played um Mm. or like jrpg i don't know what the distinction is but uh yeah i I love this game a lot heck yeah see that i I, i'm happy that that we're getting to cover this because i think there was like at least within this generation that i think we're all broadly within the same generation um like Final Fantasy X was definitely like a, a landmark game for us because we all had the PS2s and stuff. We were looking mm-hmm. for those big games to play. And there were, I mean, there were really only, if you don't count X2, I mean, it were, there were two mainline Final Fantasy games on on the PS2 because I think you don't count Eleven either because Eleven is just, they were like, what if we tried to make an MMO? Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a Eleven for SEO, basically. Yeah. It, well, it got updates i mean but they also now have like two mmos and and this is not me like shit talking either mmo uh but i think 11 was also one of those those first cases where people were like oh it's it's you know it's it's not it's not a mainline final fantasy and i think from what i know of it from from when i've talked to a friend who played it it was definitely more like this was a thing where you did mmo stuff in final fantasy world and not so much what 14 is where it has its own continuum and story and stuff like that uh, i could be wrong though right in <laughs> do we still have an email normandyfm at gmail.com is that the one yeah <laughs> yeah right right in if you are a final fantasy 11 fan hurt by my word <laughs> well when you guys do your series on final fantasy 11 which will have eight thousand episodes uh, you guys can get into all of that well finally what would it's like to get into a game that's that old but still ongoing um, I'm, like I don't, I don't know what the process of like playing that much shit is. I know my friend when he got into it. It was when we were in college, so this would have been like 2011 or 2012 was when he played Final Fantasy 11, and he basically got into it because his brother was into it, 
um, and they had a private server is, is what I remember. And they basically just like operated this private server with a bunch of other people and played the MMO off of it. And I don't know what the, the rules or maybe even the legality of that was, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I remember a few times going over to his place during summer vacation and he'd just be sitting there playing Final Fantasy XI on the PC. And I was like, I did not know people still did this in the year 2012. And then, like, I think it was last year they had uh, some sort of big thing. Like, they're doing an update for Final Fantasy XI and the anniversary's coming up. And I was like, oh, God, this game is still going, huh? <laughs> yeah. Bizarre. Crazy to think about. Um but Final Fantasy X always stays in our hearts through all of it, and that's important uh, because we're here to talk about Besaide today, which is, I think, where we get past the intro section and really get into establishing all these characters that we're going to be spending the majority of the game with. Uh, we get to, to talk about a lot of fun characters today, especially, oh, Oh, we get to talk about Waka finally. <laughs> the very mm. complicated character mm-hmm. of Waka. Um, the complicated shouldn't have been here yet. Yeah, I, I don't know. I would argue that we're going to have complicated things with Waka throughout this entire series. Mm. <laughs> they kind of start with one complicated plot line for him, and then establish more as the game goes on. Like, oh, oh, Waka, complicated character. Um. So our, our section here in Besaid opens and we're face down in the water on a beach uh, and <laughs> getting led by Blitzball. And uh, we see a bunch of dudes hanging out on the beach and, and Titus is like, oh, heck yeah, Blitzball, the one thing I know and love how to do. Uh, I'm going to do some awesome kick flip shot. Uh, out of the water in a way that just I'm glad you noticed that like it just defies all <laughs> physics <laughs> it's just there's that, no concept of gravity in this world I suppose yeah that that being good at blitzball involves defying the rules of physics of just like oh that this is a really cool uh maybe effective trick that involves me jumping several feet into the air and kicking the, that, that's what makes a good blitzball player is someone who is so incredibly skilled that they're able to defy the laws of gravity what if blitzball players are superheroes actually that can fly and we just don't know it because they're always in the water so it seems somewhat reasonable but then shit like this happens and then it just like you know it's mask off it's it's a moment where okay so there's like a super powered race of superhumans that can fly and breathe underwater and they've decided that to mask their presence they play a water sport (laughs) yeah (laughs) that they do the one thing that only they would be able to do and they're just like yeah no it's we can do it because we can play blitzball like can you not do this that's weird you're weird (laughs) we're normal (laughs) it's like that comic book of the uh the comic book panel of the pterodactyl who's like oh you you could be curing cancer instead of turning (laughs) people into dinosaurs it's like no i I, yeah I don't want to save the world. I don't want to use my superhero powers to save the world. I want to play water basketball or whatever. <laughs> I want to play water soccer and deal yeah. with my dad issues. <laughs> In that order. Uh, um, so uh, we we pop up on the beach here and uh, we start, you know, chumming it up with the the fellow sports guys as sports guys do. And, uh, you know, we say very knowledgeably on the, on this podcast, <laughs> uh, and then mention that we used to play for the Xanark and Abes, 
which, uh, of course, you know, Titus takes a while to learn that he should probably stop saying this. I'm just going to mm-hmm. point this out. I've played further than this section uh, already. I've played like all the way up to the, the me and high road already. And it takes him a really long time to learn that he should stop just blurting that out all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Tita's not doing very well blended in. Uh, but then he, he pulls out the, I was close to sin and the toxins and stuff. Uh, and then they all like, are, are like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's that, that does happen from time to time. <laughs> yeah. No one ever bothers to say like, Hey, well maybe you should go lie down or maybe you need immediate attention right. or something. Everyone's just like, okay, he's, yeah, he's got the toxins. What can, what can you do? Yeah. Ken, as the mm. person with the best memory on this podcast, and okay. I say that not knowing how good Surreal's memory is, oh, but knowing terrible. that no one's memory is as good as yours, um, <laughs> especially not mine. Uh, do we ever meet anyone else who has like amnesia or anything mm-hmm. from Syntoxin? We do. I don't. I don't think so. No. We don't. Okay. No. <laughs> so that. Which that, I guess like, raises was... more questions, like what happens to most people that that happens to? I guess. I guess like. They usually die. Yeah, I was gonna say like they, they, not a lot of people survive sin generally. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. but then it raises the question of why like sin's toxin is so readily accepted as like oh yeah no that does happen. <laughs> I heard my cousin got that once. <laughs> it was real bad. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is this is the part of the game where I always start questioning that. Where I'm like, how? Wh- why is this such a well known thing? When I feel like titus is the only one who's ever invoked it in in this series but um we then meet waka who introduces himself as the leader of the besaid oryx uh and using contextual clues we can now assume that we're on besaid <laughs> um so he's the leader of the local blitzball team uh we, we kind of talk about some stuff he pulls us aside at one point and and mentions uh you know, Xanarkin's destruction and all that. Um, a, a lot of big cities used to exist in Spira. Um, and then the Machina. And this is another part I love about this game is that he says Machina machines were <laughs> used for labor. And I was sitting there, I was like, wait, did they already have a word for this? And they just invented a different word for this. So it would sound cooler. I kind I of really respect that. I guess they make a, a distinction between the ones that are bad and the ones that the church allows us to use because it's convenient. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Oh, think, okay. See now, mm, see now we're talking about themes. I now think isn't Machina just like a, a consistent term for machines in the Final Fantasy universe, or am I wrong about that? I feel like this is the only time I know that I've heard Machina before, but I okay. I also feel like Machina has come up in another Final Fantasy that I've played, and I noticed it and was like, that's weird that they use that term there. So. Yeah, what, what were they called in six? Um, oh, that might have been the one. Uh, I'm gonna Google this really quick. Um, Final Fantasy six. Uh, the machine, also known as tool. Oh, that didn't help at all. Okay. <laughs> so uh, apparently, there are machines in Final Fantasy fourteen called Machina. Oh. Okay, I'm betting that's they don't like they a don't seem like a, a thematic thing though. Like just based on the yeah. fact it doesn't have its own page on the wiki. That's fair. Um. Anyways, Machina is what they were told uh, is is brought sin about. Sin is like the punishment for, uh, in, in a way that's kind of like Wally, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Imagine that humans relied too much on Machina. Uh, sin is like the punishment for things getting out of hand, and that sin 
exists to punish them. And even Waka's like, you know, it's kind of messed up that even though all that stuff happened years and years ago, we're still getting punished for what they did. But uh, that's life. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it is maybe one of the more clear uh, climate change analogies of like, mm-hmm. well, you, if yeah. you use too much machines and it's corrupting the planet and sin comes for us all. And, you know, like just shy of having a cult of people who deny sin ex- even exists. This game is pretty on the nose about that. <laughs> Nope. Looking up and seeing a billboard in space for a Tesla. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and, and Titus kind of has an inner monologue at this point where he's saying like, oh, maybe if I can find Sin, I can go home. Like, you know, that was how he got here. Sin Sin brought him here. Sin has clearly teleported him twice now. Uh, maybe if he can get near Sin again, he can, he can teleport again. Um, and then we get to... One of the best parts of Final Fantasy X, which is the music of Besaid Island. Mm-hmm. It's oh, it's so good. It's like, I love the music of this game, but this song is like so ingrained deeply in my brain. Uh, I even was talking to Ken about this uh, during the last podcast that I don't understand. This is the one song where I got to hear the frog croak every time it's it's got to be the like the music you know the lo-fi chill beats have got to start playing and then in the background somebody's just hitting that frog like it's critical <laughs> well i'm over um, here using the remastered soundtrack and i am pretty satisfied with that i'm a and did they did they get a better frog like a no they got frog? rid of the frog entirely they punted it like a that. blitz ball i hate it i hate it i don't know um, serial music of Final Fantasy X. Generally like it? Oh yeah, I I love it. I for, I forgot how much I like the uh, the basic battle theme. I think is mm-hmm. incredible. Like the, mm-hmm. the horns on that go hard. And I, I'm listening to the uh, um, to the original soundtrack. Um, but it I might switch over to the the remastered and see how that stuff sounds. But yeah, there's a lot of I ha- I have not played this game since I first played it. So I have wow. I've never re- really replayed it. But yeah, like it is surprising how much I remember remember it. And mm-hmm. the soundtrack is definitely the thing that is hitting me hardest of like, I forgot how good this theme is. It's so good. Mm. We might have more room to talk about this later, uh, later on once we get near like the, the latter half of Besaid. But I am interested in hearing just kind of your thoughts on how it holds up then, if it's been so long between playing it back then and playing it now. So maybe we'll talk about that when we get to some of the, the combat stuff yeah. later on. But um, yeah, so we, we, Go into a lake. Well, Waka pushes pushes Titus into a lake. Which is filled with fiends. Just like, <laughs> Which is filled with fiends, by the he, way. He has not yeah. seen us pull out a sword. He did not know that we had that. Where's like, the sword really, coming from? I mean, it's a Final Fantasy game. They pull him out of nowhere. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. He's got a lot of pockets in there. He yeah, does have a lot of pockets. That's true. He carries everybody's weapons. Um, and, and this is the part. So while we fight fiends in the lake, we get to come to the shocking realization that Waka is such a fan of Blitzball that he kills people with his Blitzball. <laughs> I mean, you work um, with what you got on hand. Yeah. But, mm, And my man has always on. got one on hand. Yeah. The it's thing that gets weird. me... Oh, you go ahead, Cyril. Uh, the thing that's weird about that is like, I, I have no idea what the the design of the Blitzball is like, but yes. the idea that it yeah. is just like this regular ball, but we have to make it like 2001... So it's like, oh, it's like a ball, but what if it had bumps? And that's like their cool, like edgy version of <laughs> ball. And, and like the the future is like over over the next thousand years, people are gonna figure out that if you put lumps on it, it's cooler. 
and that that somehow <laughs> helps it navigate the water. It's got traction now. It can like <laughs> move better through the water if it's got bumps on yeah, it. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> but yeah, the they, thing... they, they that Walk is able to to kill monsters with his ball that mm-hmm. is ostensibly supposed to be safe to throw at other people. Well, I mean, it's... people fucking wreck each other during Blitzball. We saw in that first scene. So like, I, I imagine that thing has got some weight to it. I'm just I'm picturing like Titus stabbing people and like Lulu, you know, lighting them on fire and stuff. And then you pan over to Waka and he's just like hitting someone with a soccer ball over and over and until they die. <laughs> like yeah, that sounds yeah. bad. <laughs> I, w- I would love it if it instead of whatever sound it makes the like the very impactful like uh, impact noise that it makes now. If it, if it was just like regular dodgeball sounds whenever it hit an enemy. <laughs> oh, yes. That that sound of like rubber and a little bit of air being let out of the ball when it impacts. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the thing I was going to say is we eventually get blitz balls that are like enchanted with different magic and stuff. So like mm-hmm. stone touch and all that. And that's making me really wonder who's making these illicit soccer balls that can turn people to stone <laughs> when they hit things. Yeah. There's, there's no bigger proof that there are no laws in this world than the fact that y- you can just buy a ball that is like supposed to be imbued with magic and has spikes and it's like, nope, this is a regulation uh, size and <laughs> shape blitz ball. <laughs> just walk a walking into like academy sports and outdoor and being like Yo, you got you got some balls with like spikes on them maybe lit on fire can i get like fire on it is that a thing um god this one's overkill compatible yeah they're like look we got shotguns in the next aisle are you sure you don't want one of those he's like nah nah it's, it's fucking, against yevin it's like ultimate weapon in this game has like razor blades on the side of it right Oh, I, I don't think I've ever actually gotten Waka's ultimate weapon in this game. I have or like to, fucking I knives or something. Yeah, I'm going to look up a picture of it. Waka ultimate weapon. Um, <laughs> it does. It's <laughs> It looks like um, if you've seen Kill Bill Part 1, I'm thinking a lot about Kill Bill these days. Um, it looks like the, the girl... Uh, assassin that works for the for the big bad of that movie the the ball on a chain that she kicks around with the blades in it it looks like that mm. <laughs> it's amazing um anyways because this is an audio podcast not a visual podcast uh <laughs> we'll move on to talking about the game uh after we beat up a bunch of fish and and waka kind of talks us into hey there's a tournament coming up you know in luca we're gonna go compete so maybe you come with us and you compete with us and then you might find someone there who recognizes you and all that um and and that'll be great right and i like how quickly waka goes from seeing titus do this incredible feat of athletic skill to i'm going to recruit you to my team (laughs) and we we might get a hint of why there's a little bit more going on there uh eventually but uh, for the time being, it was kind of like, oh, by the way, yeah, there no, there's a tournament in Luca. That thing that Riku said mentioned in the other time too. It's like, hey, go do this. So we've yeah, got it's kind all of an opportunity. Our, well, you've got our short term goal here. You know, this is the. I feel like Final Fantasy and a lot of JRPGs do this, where you have like the the initial goal, which is like the thing that initially drives you on a quest and it's like pretty small and then you get there and something even bigger happens and Mm -hmm. then that sets up like the grander plot um and i I feel like the same happens here in final fantasy 10 so uh 
there we go, Luca. That's where we're, we're going to join the Blitzball team. Yeah, does, um, does it, doesn't he, like, effectively blackmail you into joining the team? Doesn't he offer something of, like, well, now that you're here, you have to do this? Um, uh, I, I mean, I don't I remember don't... if he does that. I think he's just kind of like, look, you, you kind of don't have a lot of options. I mean, in, in yeah. Titus's mind, or Titus, sorry, Titus's mind, um, how many options does he really have? Is he going to just yeah. like hang May out well. on the island on Besaid and yeah? And that was where Riku said that we should probably go anyway. Yeah. Um. So we we finally get on the outskirts of Besaid Village. Um. And Waka, uh, pulls us aside real quick and is like, "Hey, man, you know, um, I I, I want to win the tournament. Um, I'm 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 going to retire. I'm going to quit. Like this is my last go." And and Titus kind of gasses him up a little bit. It's like, yeah, we're if we're gonna compete, we're not just gonna do our best. Um, we're gonna win. We're gonna right. we're gonna win this thing. And and then Walker like has team this ha- hasn't won, right? Like he has a, he he's never really won a, yeah, a match or had, anything, right? So yeah, did not win in over ten years of playing. And it was just like funny to me that like he, that never occurred to him that he should if he wants to win he should play to win. It's like Titus is like brought up this like completely new idea to him that he never even like considered. Yeah. The idea like, of yeah. taking the game, the sport seriously. Yeah. Victory. I've, I've never even thought of that. Um, uh, and we also meet Luzu and Gata who become recurring characters, especially over the, the, the first half of this game. Uh, they're crusaders. Uh, we'll, we'll learn more about them in a second, but um, you know, they're, they're, we'll, we'll talk about them in a moment. The first thing we got to do is, Waka takes Titus aside and says, Hey, you got to learn the prayer. You know, you, you got to go in, you got to meet the summoner, you got to meet everybody, you know, introduce yourself to everyone in the village. But first, you got to learn the prayer. So, you know, you, you don't look completely out of place. Um, and he does the sign that we've been seeing people do uh, this sort of step back and make an orb with your hands and bow. Um, and that's when Titus is like, I knew that sign already. It was the Blitzball sign for victory. <laughs> yeah. And I got to be honest with you. This is one of the parts of this game that I forget how this became the case. That this is what carried forward all these years and all that. Um, I honestly forgot what the lore reason is for why this became the prayer of Yevon and all that. Um, I, don't, I don't know that it was ever like explicitly like like the through line like the point A to B was ever necessarily brought up, but like just an example of like how this world must be some sort of like future version of what he knows because some some things have clearly survived and might have been like changed or took on different meanings. But that was I mean like the scene itself was kind of like a little bit silly because like he just like holds the orb in his hand for like the entire rest of the scene like looking at it. But um, mm-hmm. I just thought it was, like, a really kind of low-key haunting moment of just, like, oh, like, this has been so long that something that was um, somewhat inconsequential, just, like, in the grand scheme of, or at least our perception of what the world would be, this has apparently taken on new life as some kind of, it's based on, like, some, some sort of religion, and, like, it's this uh, symbol of respect in some way, which I just thought it was, like, so, you know, it's just one of those moments where, like, oh, a lot has changed, and Tia's just kind of having to, like, navigate this world with the things that he knows have been like i mean as we'll come to learn by the end of this game like kind of like bastardized and put made into something harmful 
I think for me, it's the the creepy part comes later with another thing that ends up getting linked into, uh, you know, Titus's Xanarkand and all that in the past. But it, it is one of those things where they never really like close the thread on this in any way. And so if you tug on it, like it, it starts to seem a little strange. And um, maybe as we go through some of the additional lore and stuff, we'll find the thing that, that connects it a little bit. But um it's the one later on once we get into the temple that 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 creeps me out a little bit more because then I'm like, oh, that's a little too specific. But um, we we head on in to the temple. Well, uh, first, I mean, let's we should probably talk about the Crusader stuff, right? Um, oh yeah, I think I, I think my notes are just like I went in the temple first and then came back out. I always yeah, I always end up going to the Crusader thing first and then the temple. So. Um, uh, we introduce ourselves to the Crusaders and basically find out that uh, they are this kind of civilian militia that uh, exists in all the towns and exists to fight sin. And I think this is the first real glimpse we get of how hopeless the right. like you know resistance against sin is because they you know they say we we're here to fight against sin. We're here to make sure that sin doesn't get to our towns and stuff. And and he's like, wait, you, how long have you been fighting? sin and they're like years and years and years he's like you never beat it like what are you doing yeah Um, here to hold him off is essentially their their kind of thing of just like you know the kind of implied protection of like well we have a militia force uh if if sin should ever come but if that happens we're all screwed it's just more for peace of mind than it is to actually you know be be a resistance movement against sin they're like cannon fodder basically yeah yeah um, which mm, then really starts to kick off a trend that is going to bother me for pretty much the entire game, which is everyone in this world lying to Titus for no reason, <laughs> seemingly. Um, so like, well, I mean, I, so let's I, keep going because I, I, I think, especially as I was playing it this time, I was like, I see why they're lying to him because his sort of, um, Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Okay, okay. Well, we'll keep going. You bring it up when, when we get to mm-hmm. the point where you want to bring it up, because yeah. I'm interested to hear this. But um, So after this, we go to the temple to introduce ourselves to um, to the, the elder and all that, and uh, we can kind of walk around in there. The hymn of the faith is bumping in the background. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, this is another case where we we talk to some people and once again like Titus kind of says some stuff where he gives away that he doesn't know anything about this world or what's been going on and so they're talking about Brasca who is high summoner 10 years prior and um you know we ask about what a high summoner is and and what summoners are and stuff like that and everyone looks at us weird and unfortunately oh, it's that sends toxin <laughs> you know you know how it is that sin toxin that gets around everywhere. Um, and uh, the priest, uh, you know, kind of explains to us, that, like, oh, the summoners summon aeons uh, thanks to the blessings of, of Yevon and all that. And we just kind of get a very vague answer. And I th- there's, there's actually, I found it this time because I went out of my way to talk to everybody in the temple. There's like a lady there that will give you a bunch of random exposition on stuff. 
uh, which is kind of nice in that it's like, hey, you know, this is this is what Yevon is. This is what the temple is. This mm. you know, it's it's all very like basic, you know. It's just this is just world building stuff. But uh, that was a nice little like refresher thing to find uh, to remember, you know, especially what th- what you know of certain things at this point versus you know what you obviously know by the end of the game. Um, so yeah, uh, we we go back. We we take a nap. At Waka's place. Yeah. Which, real, real quick, there's that one tent, yeah. I think, on the opposite side where uh, you see the lady at the counter and there are all these blades behind her. Heck yeah. And, and you're like, oh, this is where I buy, this is, you know, the introduction to equipment and stuff. And then you talk to her and she's like, hey, do you want to sleep here? And I and like, and she's like the innkeeper. And then you realize, like, wait, why, why do you have all those uh, swords behind you if this is just an inn? Uh, but, you know, like, that's that's the kind of island this is, I guess. Yeah, they all. I mean, if they're just fiends wandering the road all the time and in the lakes and yeah. stuff, you know, little Jimmy's gonna go for a swim today. Make sure you bring your switchblade so you can fight the mermen in the you're lake. You're gonna need at least two knives if you're gonna go swimming, <laughs> <laughs> or or one really dangerous soccer ball. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> um. So someone comes in to tell Waka while we're napping that um, Waka needs to check in on somebody and then we fall asleep uh, and we have a flashback to what seems like around the time that, that Jekt disappeared and, and Titus is still a little kid and we see Titus's mom and Ken, should we finally talk about this? We've talked about this before. But that I she has no name? Out. No, not that. That she looks kind of like Yuna. Oh, right. <laughs> um, I mean... She doesn't look exactly, it's not like the same model as Yuna or anything, but it was enough that it, every time I play this game, it strikes me a little bit because I always think like, oh, is this just like, you know, is it standing in and no, you actually see his mom again later in the game and she just has like the same like kind of medium cut brown hair as Yuna and it freaks me out every time. (laughs) It's like, you know, maybe it's because Evangelion's on my mind, but I was thinking about how um, there are characters in Evangelion that look very similar to each other. And it's a whole thing. And <laughs> that was this moment for me where I was like, why, why are they doing this? Mm. Oh, let's yeah, not read too deeply into that. Okay. There's definitely, <laughs> I feel like it's, maybe it's just that I've been watching a lot of Gundam recently, but there's definitely like a through line of mother complexes, uh, com- Complexes, complices, complices, uh, accomplices, uh, mother accomplices, <laughs> mother accomplices, uh, in, in a lot of like the sh- in, uh, in a lot of the shonen genre, and I wonder if this is just like borrowing from that of like yeah, this one of the one of the ways to build a thread with with the relationship is to make two characters build or, or look similar, just to hammer that point home. Mm-hmm. I I will also say that um. Th- there are not a lot of hairstyles in this mm-hmm. game early on, especially. Uh, I feel like there are other characters in this game that I remember seeing having a similar hairstyle to Yuna's. And I was like, Oh, okay. Maybe this is just like common or whatever. Uh, but it's the fact that these characters are like directly like, like you meet them basically one after the other that I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's kind of weird. Um, but yeah, anyways, <laughs> Tina's his mom, uh is like don't you care if your if your dad's gone he's like no i don't care i'm i'm angry i'm grumpy i'm grumpy little titus titus <laughs> and, uh she's like oh do, do you hate him but if he dies you'll never be able to tell him how much you hate him 
which is when Final Fantasy X teaches us early on that spite is the best motivation. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I always thought that was a weird thing to tell a kid, too. <laughs> it's like, if he dies, you'll never be able to tell him how much you think he sucks. Tita's being like, oh, you are right about that. I mean, like, there's a... like. I uh, we know fuck all about Tita's mom just because like there's nothing to know but like I think if you see your kid as like clearly like a pent up issue that he has never expressed that might be something you want them to be able to do at some point um so like and I guess in some way that is somewhat healthy even though it is like a very specific uh thing like oh I want you to be able to tell your dad that you fucking hate his guts but like yeah it, it's it's hard to know how much of it is just maybe like the the weird writing or how much of it is localization or whether it's just them trying to communicate that maybe her mo- mother is not able to reconcile their differences very well because it definitely feels like she's trying to say that like you know uh it when someone passes away you basically that's that steals the relationship you can you can never kind of fix it after that and maybe she's trying to allude to that but she's just either not very good at it or <laughs> the writing does not convey that well or the localization just is not up to par i'd be interested i'd be interested to see what the line is in japanese but it definitely feels like someone along the way fumbled that message i i don't know i mean because like they're again like not not to get too far ahead else like as in what will be like the last episode of the season that is like what Titus wants to say like that is something that like he has not expressed at this point like in the flashback and I think like there there's like intent there for him to be able to say that and express that in a world that is constantly telling him that this person that he has this like very tumultuous relationship with is a hero that deserves respect that everyone else like loves and fawns over well where he knows how he feels and might you know have like he did not he never got to express that and you know, and that's just something that he's kind of lived with for, I don't know, probably at least like a decade or so, I would say, from this flashback, perhaps. I think this is maybe also an important time to raise the fact that this is literally one of the only times we see Titus's mom. And we just kind of get told later on that she died at some point of apparent grief or something. And then we get, I think, one more conversation with her in this game. And that's about it. So this is like, I don't know. It's it's weird. I, I've always felt like this is a weird aspect because I know this is like a game. It's mostly about Titus's daddy problems and, and issues with his father and all that. But it is kind of weird how little we see Titus's mom and then, you know, how little she is actually characterized. It's even hard to tell, like, the lines that she does have feel just strange because there's no basis for this character. I mean... I could honestly forgive someone playing this and not even realizing that that was supposed to be Titus's mom in a flashback and not just be like some random character that's talking to him. I think you're just supposed to understand through complex clues. Cause like, does he call her mom in the scene? Well, I suddenly I, don't mm, remember. <laughs> that, that is suddenly like escaping me, but I knew there was like yeah. other flashbacks where it's like very clear that okay. his mother. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, it, it's. I wonder how much of that is like. The, well, they they have this father son relationship, which is the thing they want to drill into, and they just maybe assume that, like, well, we have to have a mother figure, um, but maybe we got to explain that somehow. Yeah, so it's like, <laughs> I I wonder if this is just like, well, we wanted to have like a single dad kind of thing where you know the mother's just not in the picture, but I yeah, I, I guess they felt compelled to have this third part of the of the relationship, but it doesn't feel like. She does not feel crucial to this arc so far. Yeah. Right. And even like across the game, like not like unless I'm forgetting something, we don't even 
like mothers are just like very absent throughout this game in general because like mm-hmm. Yuna has a lot to like lot like not not to like the same level as she just like has some sort of like complex with her father. Riku's father is like a character that is around, and all their mothers are just MIA. Yeah, wait, where are the moms in this game? Yeah. <laughs> this is like a this is like a Disney movie. Good mm. God. Um, <laughs> um, wow, I'm just like now suddenly thinking through the entirety of this game <laughs> because also like what? Well, we know where one mom is. Uh, we'll talk about Seymour Guado eventually. Mm, oh, <laughs> fuck. I completely forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, okay. Never mind. We will have a moment at some point down the road to talk about motherhood. Um, yeah, and, but and like even, even, even now, like having not played this game in a long time and not knowing a lot of the specifics, like between the whole, you know, your father's a superstar, but you hate him. And then the, the very like clear ecological uh, metaphor that sin is it. There's definitely this already this running theme of like um, rebelling against the past in a, in mm-hmm. like a very yeah. strong way of like every, like you're the, the, the people before you are as much of a burden as they are a support system. Um, mm. So I'm curious to see like where the game kind of lands on that by the end. Mm-hmm. You know, kill the past if you have to. Yeah. Which That's... is, which is a weird thing with this being like the game the first game on a new generation of hardware and uh final fantasy having this very long legacy of heroes and characters that you know people love and how every time this series feels compelled to start over which ends up being weird that this is the one of the first games i think where they're like no let's continue the legacy like this specific story let's continue that one yeah yeah i think when we finally get into 10 2 we're going to be talking a lot about like the decision to carry this story on specifically and part of me thinks it is because i think titus overall was maybe not as well received as another character who we're about to Mm. meet in this game um you know this i think this was a bit more of a dual protagonist game than you know even though you kind of control one character and and mainly like play the game from his point of view there is very much an argument for saying that that Yuna is as much a protagonist of this game as as Titus is, mm-hmm. um, and so I think part of Ten Two was just them following through on that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about that. I know Ken is Ken's like yeah. vibrating over there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so speaking of Yuna, we we head over to the temple. Um, everyone's you know having a whole time there. Uh, the summoner has not returned from their trial inside the temple. Um, inside the temple, there is a cloister of trials that an apprentice summoner has to complete. They pray there to the, to the temple, to the aeons. If they are heard, they become a summoner. They gain the ability to summon. Uh, and if not, there's just kind of like a shrug (laughs) and, Um, you get the sense that it's like pretty dangerous in there. Uh, put a pin in that. <laughs> and um, it, the summoner that is in there right now has been in there for a full day. Uh, and something might have happened. There, you know, the summoner does have their guardians in there. There are people in there with the summoner, but something still you know, might have happened inside the cloister of trials. Um, Titus, you know, starts running up the stairs, getting ready to go in and walk is like, no, it's, you can't go in. Like you're not allowed to go in if you're not a summoner or a guardian. And Titus is just like, nah, whatever, man. I like, I care and goes in. Mm. Um, what, you know, 
which is the first, the, maybe the start of Titus starting to be like, you know, I'm not going to just blindly, you know, win in Rome through all right. of this. I'm going to, you know, if, if someone's legitimately hurt, I'm not going to stand by because of traditions that don't even bind me that I don't have any reverence for. So, right. and that's uh, a kind of like to touch on what we talked about earlier. I think that is probably like a moment that where they're like, I don't feel like we need to tell this guy everything if he doesn't remember everything because he like I mean he's right like we as the player know that he's right because obviously but like the all these other people are seeing like this dude has no respect for the boundaries mm. of the things that we follow how is he going to react when there is a thing that we've all been taught that is like the way things have to be and you how think is there's he going, like how a is collective he going to make... shame around it in a way I think both that but I also feel like if you have somebody that is trying to argue get something they've all been taught as an inevitability, that's just going to make it harder for everybody that like, they have mm. to kind of like deal with this person who's going through this, like basically like a mourning period that they've all dealt with just being like in this world and knowing how it works and what they have accepted to be inevitable. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's almost no point in arguing or like um, relitigating it to someone else, especially if they're like, not to them not worth it right because they're they are someone who is like well this guy's clearly not going to stick around this community very long mm-hmm. so there's no point in in kind of bringing him into the fold oh yeah see i could see that and then but then it's once we get to luca and uh and and it becomes clear that that this is going to be a journey that involves titus for a long time and not a short mm-hmm. time that's where it gets really mm. that i mean that's obviously where the tension is supposed to start happening but playing through it a second time or not even a second time, like a, a dozenth time. Uh, it's, it's like seeing that stuff, uh, it, it is where you're like, Oh God, this is, I, how did, how did they do this? How did they keep this up for so long? Um, anyways, uh, we'll be talking about that for pretty much this whole season. So <laughs> the, the thing I wanted to pull the pin out of and, and talk about real quick is that they establish early on. And I feel like this comes up again in, in other cases too. They're like the cloister of trials. You know, it's, there's this big trial and it's, it's dangerous. You don't know what could happen. Uh, these are not dangerous whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they can end up or they, like as the game goes on, they do like that is, that was something that I guess was surprising to me at the the Besaid one specifically. It was like this is very simple. This like feels like not dangerous and just like very clear, like very easy. Like put this sphere here, put this one here, and like you know it's the tutorial, so like it doesn't have to be complex. But I like remember like the ones in fucking Bavel, like which which took me yeah, a long yeah. fucking time. Um, um, so I think they're just like setting an expectation. Yeah, there's the thematically one too, I guess. But th- thematically, it's interesting because you go into this chamber that you know, it definitely seems like everyone is like, well, there's. It sounds like there might be a problem, uh, mm-hmm. with with Yuna, and then you go in and there's nothing. There's just like yeah. no reason. There's no threat, and you know, you could say that maybe they, she's, uh, and she and her guardians have already cleared out most of the threats. Mm. Um, but it kind of does raise the question of what is what is the holdup here? Is is she just not grokking the like you have to move this one? You have to move this wall before you put the orb in this one, and mm-hmm. no one's been able to help her figure it out. Uh, but yeah, this first one is definitely like, oh, I thought this was going to be way more involved. I thought this was going to be a dungeon, not a puzzle. Yeah, and and like, I, 
it, it, it's like two rooms. It's like a fun house in there. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's like when your parents would turn, you know, your, a couple of rooms in your house into the scary house and you'd have mm. like the, the <laughs> bucket with the, the peeled grapes and spaghetti in it. It's all oh, it's brains in there. And so, <laughs> Tina's is just walking in, no blindfold on, just being like, "This is it." Just a couple of glowy <laughs> orbs and a pedestal. This is. Are you? You couldn't just bring a sandwich down here. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've decided that if you can move the orbs in the right order, you're ready to venture out and try to go on this uh, journey, which we'll we'll get to later on. Well, they they even talk about it being like, "Oh, well, how do how will we get to the summoner? How do we even like? It's a even Waka's like, "Oh, it's it's a whole ordeal and all that." I'm. I think the Jimmy John's guy would deliver down there like that. <laughs> no one's ever put the orbs in the right places before. That's impossible. <laughs> He's riding in there on the bike. The toll and shit. that takes on your mind. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, to be fair, Titus himself is not that bright because Titus cannot hold more than a single orb at a time because what are hands in pockets? <laughs> yeah. We, we don't what know. am I, a guy with two hands? <laughs> I need that hand for pushing stuff and, <laughs> yeah. and pressing glyphs. Um, yeah, yeah. This this one is so so basic compared to, mm-hmm. I mean, Bevel especially is the one. Yeah, like I remember that one taking me a very very long time to beat. Um, and, and and even even the Kilika one at least you have to be like, okay, well, which, which orb goes where and in what order and stuff like that. This one is just straight up. Like this, this is not a trial. This is the kids are figuring this one out accidentally. Like there's, there's a kid going down there completely by accident and coming out with the ability to summon an Aeon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we go through the world's most basic placing of, of orbs and stuff that I do we even need to talk about how we just pick up some orbs and put them down in in slots and you put a destruction orb in one and you get a special item in that one. Uh, and and that's about it. Uh, when we get to the elevator, Waka catches up and is like, you know, Hey, you got to respect these laws, man. Come on. Like you can't, you can't do this. You're making me look bad out Mm there. (laughs) Um, but he's surprisingly chill about it. All things considered, um, and, and all he tells us, you know, all the summoners go on a pilgrimage and they pray at all the different temples for, for help from the aeons. Um, and, and when we get down there, we, we meet a couple of the guardians in the room outside of the, the prayer chamber, the very well lit, well kept prayer chamber. Um, that was the other part of this where I was like, what do you mean cloister of trials? Like, this is honestly like, this is a well kept temple, <laughs> all things considered. Um, but we we only get to uh briefly see our our goth mage pal and giant blue lion pal uh before the door opens and the apprentice walks out and here we see yuna for the first time and and she says uh, you know I, i've done it i've become a summoner and like almost collapses uh before stand for fucking lion. ever yep yep best you, character you in the game can i know you're happy i know you're very here she happy. comes. <laughs> she is here. I do Let like the, f- the first thing that Titus thinks is like, wow, I thought all the high summoners were like old dudes. And here's this pretty lady <laughs> doing summoner <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, there, there's something about Titus just being dumb all the time. That is kind of fun, um, mm. and enjoyable. 
Uh, and so Waka drags us over after we go outside and to see Yuna do her first summon. Uh, and she calls in Vale for the, the giant Phoenix looking thing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's super sick. Summoning rules summons in this game. Like until we get to final fantasy 15, uh, I say we get to Final Fantasy 15. We're not we're not covering Final Fantasy 15. I'm putting my foot down in the ground right now. <laughs> couldn't pay me enough. That's not yeah. true. Yeah, you, you um, do pay my salary, and I couldn't quit my job. Maybe do it. <laughs> um, I, I it's not like I don't dislike it. I just don't want to talk about the game or play that game again mm-hmm. because it was it's it's a lot of video game and a lot of emotions I would have to go back through. Um, but until we get to Final Fantasy 15 and Final Fantasy 7 remake. I think that the summons in this game are probably the most impressive summons thus far. I like the older game summons a lot. And, you know, people always be like, oh, yeah, Knights of the Round. And I get it. You like it because it's funny because it takes like five minutes to cast that thing. That's that's great. But um, I really like the summons in this game because of how they get treated like actual characters that yeah. you call in. And they're like a mm-hmm. facet of Yuna's arsenal. Um and also, like, we'll probably get more into this when we get into, like, the Kilika section, but uh, summons are, like, it starts out that Yuna is just a summoner and just does summoning things, and then as the game goes on, like, Yuna becomes more of a fighter in her own right and more useful in, in combat and as a, as a party member. Um, and I think it's just a really cool way of, of creating these characters that aren't just you know, magical spells with a special name attached. Like right. you are summoning a character that you play as and they have a very specific skill set and and they have like elemental strengths and weaknesses just like a normal monster does. Uh yeah, it's yeah. I, I think it's like way more interesting and, and a cool way of portraying these characters. Mm-hmm. The the number of uh tactical considerations uh is a lot higher and so like yeah. you're mm-hmm. you're thinking about how how can I pace the battle according you know later on obviously now it's pretty fire and forget but like you're thinking about when at what point do i deploy the summon and mm. then uh because it's like you get one per fight if i remember correctly right and so it's not just like uh, you only get like one life of theirs per fight so yeah, yeah. if 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 it goes down you cannot resummon if it in the same fight so it's le- more, less about like oh this is just my super like effectively my super this is more of like I mean, if we're going to use uh, fighting game terminology, it's closer to like an install or like yes. you know the yeah. a V trigger in Street Fighter Five, where it's like I'm going to be in this state for a while, but it's uh, but it's limited, so I have to use it more tactically, mm-hmm. and I could get nothing out of it. It's not just right. pure damage; it's mm-hmm. this thing could get killed immediately. Yeah, and I also like just in replaying it now. It's like you know when, when you're fucking you know twenty years ago, like when this game first came out, like they they felt very impressive and very strong, but like when you actually look like the nuts and bolts of how they work they are kind of glass cannons like they aren't these things that like they aren't win- instant win mm-hmm. buttons that you can just throw out yeah. just to get through anything because like they are they're slow they are like they're very powerful sure but like they're slow they don't take a lot of like they don't have a lot of defense they take damage like nothing else like no party member does and yeah so like, i am just like impressed impressed at how much more tactical they feel than even like you know <sighs> 13 and 15 had, like, their own ways of doing it, but they were more or less just, like, momentary, you know, power boosts that you had that might not necessarily even, like, turn the course of a fight, where here there's just, like, a lot more that you have to consider before you put even one of them out, because you could summon something into, like, immediately into the line of fire, and it would just completely be wasted. 
Yeah, How did it, they work in 13 again? Because literally all I remember about the summons from 13 is that one of them was Shiva, mm-hmm. and Shiva in that game was like two twins that made mm-hmm. a motorcycle that you rode, and I remember that being really bizarre. Oh, and there's the... Um, the the one girl's is is Alexander, right? It's like the really big fortress thing. Uh, I think Hope's is Alexander, if I recall correctly. Oh, yeah. Who's mm, who am I thinking of? Pink hair girl from thirteen. Uh, she had like Hecatonsher, I believe. Oh, okay, right, right. Yeah, and then like Fang um, and like Bahamut, and you know they were they were like a couple. Oh, they were all like character specific, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the way they were like you know thirteen uses ATB again, and so that was when like they basically were like like a high power state that you had for like a limited amount of time. And you basically just kind of like use as much of those abilities as you could uh, before mm. the time ran out. And like the time would go down as they were, they, they took hits. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. The, the way you use summons in this game reminds me of, I don't know if either of you have played Mega Man X3 specifically. Uh, so in that game, it was the first time you could play a zero who was kind of like the cool, let's say the Orin character um, in, 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 in that game. <laughs> And you could you could you played as Mega Man and you could summon Zero at any time, but if he died, he was gone for the rest of the game. So and he was like incredibly powerful, mm. but like you could kill Zero and and have and not be able to use him ever again. Uh, so you had to be, you had to think about okay, well when do I use the super powered version of me effectively? But there is always this this danger to bringing them out, and this feels like a very subdued, obviously, uh, but still like a version of that where there is a little bit of risk of like if I screw this up. I'm going to lose out on this potentially really helpful thing for the rest mm. of this fight. Yeah. And, and, and it, it feels like just, you know, every character kind of has their own like ACE in the hole. Like all of them kind of have you know, their overdrives and stuff like that, that really make them who they are. And Yuna's being her, her, she basically gets a bunch of them. You know, she mm-hmm. has all these different Aeons and it makes it feel like you, by the end of the game, when you have all these different Aeons and you, you obviously can't, I don't think you can bank Aeon Overdrives the way that you do with characters. You can. Um, wait, you so you can get an Overdrive and then, like, unsummon them? Mm-hmm. What? Okay, yeah. I never knew. I've played this game so many times. I've never tried doing that. Um, but, yeah, it, it ends up feeling like by the end of the game, you know, you've really become a powerful summoner. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you can it's a very tactile reminder of your pilgrimage to that point. Right. And I think that's, that's the other cool thing that I like about Aeons in this game is that they tie, they tie directly into the narrative. You right. know, they're not um, in most other games. I mean, in final fantasy 15, uh, Shiva plays Shiva in just about every game ends up being like a very core part of the story in one way or another, but like, uh, and, and so is like Ifrit, but then, Rama in Final Fantasy 15 is just kind of there and just kind of happens to to step in at one point. I don't yeah. know. I, yeah, I like I mean, them as being these these gods that that you become so powerful you can call on them to your aid right. and stuff and they're kind of like party members in a way. Yeah. You can even I, I, name them. Yeah, if if you're fucking weird that we, we get a name fucking Balafor Bob. Fucking Yeah. Yeah, Frank the bird. Frank showed up <laughs> to help out. <laughs> anyway, uh, summon Frank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this bird comes in, is like, hey, how's it going? I'm here to do some magic. Yeah, it's um, weird that every summon has their own version of the Brooklyn accent. 
So anyways, I started blasting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we we cut ahead to to nighttime and uh, Waka's introducing Titus, the whole team, and and converting them to the winning strategy, which is also just a very good scene where they're all like, wait, what's victory? We don't don't understand that. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we convince them what it is. And then we, we keep making goo goo eyes with, well, Titus keeps making goo goo eyes with, you know, we'll make sure to not use we in the section here, Ken. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, uh, uh Titus goes over, uh, Yuna introduces herself. Uh, we get a little conversation between them, uh, where, where they talk a little bit. And uh, as she's getting pulled away to go talk to more people, um, you know, she's like, oh, we can talk tomorrow. You know, we'll be on the same boat and all that because you're you're going to go compete in the tournament, Luca. And then she makes an offhand comment that's like, you can tell me all about Xanarkand and then goes away. And it's like, I love her. Like, I mean, it is it is like a small, like almost throwaway line. But like when you have everyone else in this game that is just missing of all the things that he says is nonsense, that she is like willing to hear him out just i think mm-hmm. speaks volumes in like one fucking line yeah and and there are obvious like reasons for why she she does believe him that we'll talk about next episode but um yeah it's uh it's it's a cool little thing that did we talk about the other thing by the way i forgot wasn't there a thing about the hymn of the faith where tita says something about it being a song that he knew from his childhood there's a point where he hums it okay Okay, yeah. So th- I thought there was a part where he was like, "That was a that was a song from my childhood," and I just remembered that we skipped over that. And I was like, I remember every time I hear that line, I'm like, "Who sings that to a child?" <laughs> I think it might have been the melody, not necessarily the words. Oh, okay. Well right. then. So I I guess as, as someone who's now just playing this game for the first time in a long time, is is the idea that she she is implied to be somewhat clairvoyant by having that line or did she hear about you know there's this stranger here that knew that is oh like Xanarkand. like how did how did she know that yeah. that titus was saying he was from xanarkand and all that yeah um i'm assuming that since there is like a jump in time between yeah. that summoning and nighttime that maybe there were some ongoing festivities maybe some sort of dinner and all that kind of stuff yeah because okay. she it's, heard about it along the way yeah yeah, yeah. it's pretty clear okay. that this is like kind of a going like a graduation party and a going away party um oh, and yeah. so uh i i assumed that at some point you know she probably talked to waka and waka would have brought it up or talked to one of the the besaid oryx or something and that would have come up uh even though we do not see it there there are sections in this game where i'm like they they do things because it just kind of keeps everything moving. This is a very brisk intro to the game. I feel like there is very little um, filler, like from the beginning mm. of the game up to Luca. Uh, it feels very fast compared to what how long the rest of the game is. Uh, and Especially considering the number of environments you're visiting in the in like yes, this. this yeah. From the beginning of the game to uh, leaving for Kalika Island, it took me maybe an hour forty. And the num- the fact that you go through all of Xanarkand, you go through the ruins, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you and you go through this island, and then like, which is effectively like the kind of a small self-contained area, 
is is really impressive for like what is a 50 hour jrpg does like it doesn't feel like it should be moving this fast mm. uh but it like it, it is very clearly invested in like getting you started and by the time you leave kalika you definitely get the like okay i'm leaving my hometown for the first time but that's you are so much further along in the journey at this point than that yeah yeah like modern rpgs don't move this fast through areas or when they do they like leave exposition by the wayside and it's like uh doesn't manage to introduce you to the world as well i think this game does yeah that well that was that was gonna be my follow-up was you go so fast through these areas but they are so like memorable anyways like i i felt like i could recognize every one of these places as being very distinct as being fleshed out as like, by the time I leave Besaid, I've got a very clear idea of, you know, who the people there are and what they live like and what their life is like and what their beliefs are. And they get all of that delivered in a very succinct manner. But there are, there are moments like this one with, you know, where it's like, Oh, okay. They, they kind of just jumped ahead a little bit. They're like, just keep up, you know, suspend disbelief a little bit. We don't need to like tell you that, that this thing happened. Um, yeah, and I, I think what stands out about Yuna so far is that, yeah, she is, like, the one character who's willing to take Titus at face value, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, even even Waka, who's kind of been your guide up to this point, has been like, okay, I, like, you're maybe a little weird because you're mentioning Xanarkin and that's impossible, uh, and or, you know, you're, like, the, the, the high summoner at the temple who's like, I'm gonna, I don't care about this person, he's, like, he's... Uh, soiling our traditions and, and kind of being a dick. Uh, but Yuna is like the one person who is willing to kind of approach Titus on his terms and be like, if you want, if you want to talk about Xanarkin, I'm, w- I'm willing to hear you out. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, like she's not going to bring her uh, suppositions about what that means mm-hmm. into the conversation. And then she's willing to converse with him on that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even if, even if Yuna has some, some existing knowledge of stuff, uh, it still like establishes her very early on as like someone who is understanding and mm-hmm. and yeah um, yeah because like from the from the basis of like oh I am Titus right like the, the player character is Titus sorry uh, <laughs> it's like you, you, you are, got three in a row you the player are established as being this very bratty guy that no one wants that people are just kind of tolerating for the most part mm. here is someone who is like willing to reach out to your your bratty ass i think is like a, a mm. something that i think players are immediately going to notice and think mm. like oh this character stands out among this crowd and then like like most young boys we're going to immediately read too much into it as waka <laughs> comes over and says she's cute yeah <laughs> um yeah that's uh, so i i'm gonna bring it up here we should probably talk about it here there is like a weird not even like relationship system, but like, I think it, I saw it called somewhere in a guide when I was looking this up earlier, like uh, an affection system or something that basically ends up determining like two things. It ends up determining like who you ride with on a, on a certain vehicle later on in the game uh, and have like a short little conversation with. And then it also ends up determining uh, who throws a blitz ball to Titus in one of his overdrive attacks um that's fucking weird yeah that's like that's it but it's still like a thing and 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 here's the other weird thing you would think like affection it's going to be you know between yuna and some other female characters that we're getting to but waka and Orin are on the scale too because you can end up having the the snowmobile ride with waka or Orin. And it's super weird. <laughs> I didn't um, know that, but 
Yeah, no, I, I didn't either. I was reading. I, I always thought it was between Yuna, Riku, and Lulu. And then I looked this guide up and it was like, no, you can totally like snowmobile ride with the others if you do very specific things and stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a. F- that, seems, that is a very like uh, this generation system where it's like it is the illusion of depth in a system that feels entirely uh unnecessary of like oh did you like did you know that this system is in the game you and like the the common re- like if this were a th- reddit threads like hey i remember the affection system from final fantasy 10 and people would be like man this game was so revolutionary for having this <laughs> system that does really does nothing but is like a set of variables we've put in the game to make the game feel deeper than it might otherwise be like it's especially weird because like this game has a canon relationship like there's like yeah like I don't know what what it serves beyond those like little nods that it can have. But, like oh, we put the we put this camera on the on this character for this scene to reflect the fact that you said a nice thing once and like the like there aren't even that many like dialogue quote unquote options in this game anyway. And it's like I just so the when they thing's... do jump up, they're really bizarre. Yeah, it just feels really. I I, I hesitate to say like underserved, but because I don't feel like it serves any purpose at all. Like it just it's just, yeah yeah. And they always feel very out of character because, like, the one I always think of is I think it's in Guado Salam later where you can tell Lulu something like, actually, I prefer women like you or something like that. And it was... Mm, Yeah, it's like, why is this here? This isn't... You're trying to be a dating sim to give people the illusion of variety, but it's like, come on. Mm. Yeah. Like, like maybe if they sold that as, like, Titus is trying to just make her uncomfortable on purpose to, like, have a laugh or something... But you're also not voice acting any of those sections or anything, so it just doesn't come across very well. Um, I almost wonder if it's just like not to give agency to players who might not like you know, which is a weird thing to go into this game being like, uh, of like, oh, I, I want to be this type of person instead, and like game kind of nu- like hints at that by giving you other options, but they just don't. Yeah, it, it's it all, yeah. not it not effective at all. Yeah. Like Ken said, there is a canon romance in this game. Yeah. Like it is, it's there's no avoiding it. Very set in stone. Like yeah, to to the point that like we were talking about with The Last of Us when we were covering that game. Um, you know, you are kind of playing out a story. You are not necessarily like this is an RPG, but you're playing a role, not necessarily role playing as whoever you want to be. Like you wouldn't a D and D campaign. Like you were playing mm-hmm. a role in the story. So, um. Yeah, it's just just weird, just weird. And then we have the best line in the game, which is if you try to go over and talk to Yuna again, there's an old lady that just goes, "Stay away from the summoner." <laughs> and it is my favorite line in this entire game because every time you walk over, she says it the exact same way, no change, and it's this bizarre, weird, creepy line of just "Stay away from the summoner." <laughs> And I get yeah. like, it's seared in my brain. When I was playing this again, I just kept walking back and back to here over and over again. <laughs> yeah, uh, very clearly establishing that everyone thinks you're trouble and they want you to stay away, which is the thing they get across with all the other characters that you meet on this island. All, all the main party members, you know, you have you have Waka, who's kind of like the older brother, who who's kind of goading you a little bit. Uh, but he's also like, yeah, don't try anything. And then there's uh, the character we'll meet on later on, uh, who is very much the like, I will murder you if mm. you do anything. Mm-hmm. And then we have Lulua, who I believe we've met at this point. 
who basically just gives you the, the death stare and says, "Look, I I'm wearing like 40 belts. Don't don't do anything." <laughs> I will I have the ability to literally light you on fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am carrying a doll and I can shoot you with lightning. Do not do anything. <laughs> um yeah, no, I, I like to imagine later on at some point, uh, Titus tries going for a kiss and then hears that voice in his mind is, stay away from the sound. He's like, huh. <laughs> um, so yeah, speaking of, of yeah, Titus, you know, getting hot for, for Yuna, we have a dream sequence after this where uh, Titus goes to bed and he's standing on a pier with Yuna and, you know, she's like, oh, take me away to Xanarkand. You know, I want to see Xanarkand. Show me Xanarkand. And then Riku all of a sudden shows up and it's like, no, you said you'd go take me to Xanarkand. Me. And this is like straight up some, you know, like throwback to Saved by the Bell, you know, (laughs) in the middle of a dream sequence and there's girls fighting over you and stuff. And then the protagonist wakes up like, oh, man. Um Except instead of waking up, uh, Titus's daddy issues invade the dream <laughs> and just start telling him that he'll never be able to love a woman. <laughs> it's the you're uh, a beta. This is such a like this game wears its like psych- psychoses so brazenly on its shoulder that I have to respect it because in the first like hour and a half of this game. The main character's father is appearing in a fantasy dream sequence saying he'll never be able to love a woman well. <laughs> it's like you're just not be like sugarcoating this at all. This is what this game is about. <laughs> um Oh man. Yeah, they, they just have no room for subtlety. They have they are way they are clipping through this dialogue way too quickly for there to be any subtlety and <laughs> the possibility of misinterpreting what is going on here. We have to cut that out immediately and make it as obvious as possible that this is what's happening. In in case you couldn't follow it, we then cut back to Titus, who's now a child and crying. <laughs> saying we hate him. And uh then Yuna and Riku start like cheering Titus on to like say that we hate him and stuff like that um and and then we wake up and it's like oh my god this is this this game i didn't mm. sometimes i wonder if young me picked up on this the first time around or not like i i know playing that game i probably would have been like yeah check sucks but i don't know if i had the emotional maturity to to grasp all of these concepts just yet (laughs) um it's it's weird to think of that that this is this game deals with some stuff that's maybe a bit beyond uh you know how how old i was when i first played it mm. um which just tells you how old i am but or not old i am uh we wake up and we hear lulu and waka fighting because it's time for another thematic exposition uh exposé and we we peer out this is I also really want to mention this right now. The way that this part suddenly cuts to a super high rendered mm. cutscene all of a sudden is always really funny to me. And I think they did it just because they were like, we need a scene that can show like Lulu's design in super high detailed CG. Cause this game does that a lot, especially in the next episode that we'll talk about. It will cut between really high res cutscenes and in engine like cutscenes 
just rapidly sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it did it even when we were waking up from the beach in the Sage. Like, when you when Titus does his fucking gravity-defying kick, uh, and when the ball goes over to walk, it switches. So that you can see, like, the expression of the reaction in a way that you, they probably might not have been able to render back then. Right. It's just a weird, weird little, you know, relic of what game design and, and what making RPGs used to be like versus, you know, what we've got nowadays with like Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, where it's it's all much more continuous and, and one shot mm. and all that. Whereas here, uh, we, like, we get a, a cut away. Like patchwork or something. Yeah, which I do kind of like because it is that moment where we get like this really detailed view of what Lulu's garment looks like Mm. because it is it does defy all explanation frankly (laughs) um it's kind of just a dress with no shoulders or really anything that should feasibly be holding this dress up in the first place um and then uh a giant tear down the middle and what looks like at least two dozen belts running up the inside Mm. of it (laughs) Um, and, and it drags in a way that I just have to imagine means it's getting dirty at the bottom all mm-hmm. the time. Like it's just nasty down there. Um, yeah, but Lulu, you know, is going for the aesthetic, you know, mm-hmm. Lulu will not wear different clothes for battle and stuff like that. Lulu has decided one look and that is her look <laughs> and she will I mean, like, she can, she's a witch. She can magic away the dirt. Exactly. And keep yeah, keep that outfit water. fresh. She casts water on the hem yeah. of her dress. It's like when people ask me how I'm wearing my beanie and gloves in the middle of summer, and they're like, aren't you hot? I'm like, no, I'm determined. <laughs> I am hot with the fire of my own determination. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, so this, this, this little segment we get here uh, is we quickly begin to suss out that Lulu and Walker are having a fight about Titus. Uh, and, and they start to talk about someone named Chapu who apparently Titus looks like. And Lulu's like, you never should have brought him here. You never should have done that. Um, and then just kind of storms off on Waka cause Waka is just dense <laughs> and is unable to, to understand what is going on or even like grapple with his emotions. And so uh, Waka walks back inside and, and Titus stops him and asks him, hey, what's up? Like, who's who's Chapu? And this is the part where I really respect Final Fantasy X as a game. They get immediately to the heart of what would otherwise be drug out through the course of mm. hours in any other video game. Like this whole Chapu situation. They're just immediately like, oh, yeah, this is what's going on. Uh, Chapu was Waka's little brother uh, who died fighting sin uh, with the crusaders. He heard it on the first day of the tournament last year, which is why he played super bad and they lost. Uh, and so now he wants to be a guardian for Yuna so he can go fight sin. Cause he's mad about his little brother getting killed. And <laughs> that's it. We just got all of that in one, one blast. Mm. And I was like, you know what? Awesome. Great. Cool. <laughs> There's one yeah. thing they don't have time for in this intro, and that's for not being emotionally honest, <laughs> straightforward. Um, so yeah, Chapu. I mean, we'll be talking more about Chapu as as we go through this this section, but it is kind of an interesting early story beat uh, to kind of establish the relationship that Lulu and Waka have with each other. Um, 
because that will be a thing that that keeps coming up throughout the game as well. Um, I don't know. Waka's Waka's an interesting character. I think Waka and Lulu's dynamic is really interesting early on. Mm. Um, you like immediately get the sense where you're like these these people seem to borderline hate each other. I don't mm. understand why they're like working together at all. Um, and it takes a while to to kind of piece it all together and figure mm. it out. Anyways, we wake up and Waka gives us Chapu's sword <laughs> to to really drive this home. Yeah. Uh, That's the sword on the cover. I said, "Yeah, yeah, um, yeah." I mean, look, it's a it's a sick sword. I don't know why Chapu didn't take it with him. That's you know, it's silly, but um, yeah, I think di- didn't he end up saying he was like, "Oh, he didn't take the sword. He used Machina instead, or something like mm. that." I think that's a line at some point. Um, We'll probably get more into that once we get to, I think it's the me and high road episode, but, Mm. um, put a pin in that. (laughs) And so we're about to leave and you can definitely kind of be impatient here. And then we're, we realize we're waiting for Yuna. Um, and, uh, she's leaving and she's leaving as a summoner, which we don't really understand the significance of just yet. But, um, Yuna, walks out with just suitcases of stuff and which which is also a little jarring because i've not seen a suitcase yet in this entire video game so i was like okay yeah i guess suitcase exists at the suitcase store (laughs) um but uh they they reminder this is not a vacation like he you're just going to need what you can carry and that's Mm. it yeah i I think she mentions that she is bringing like gifts, gifts, and gifts yeah. to the, to all the temples that she's going to visit which is kind of your first hint of what she is actually going to do right. uh, mm-hmm. throughout this game uh and they're like no leave leave that all behind it we're not this is not a vacation yeah yeah and i think i think turning like the fact that she was bringing gifts and they're like you don't need to do that like back to ken's earlier point about what the eventual thing you learn about this game is and maybe like the collective sorrow that there is in all of this is like, here we have Yuna's, you know, joy and, and cheer with life contrasting against it again. Um, just a neat little, neat little way to develop who this character is in, in a quick scene. Uh, yeah. And it ha- it ha- as a Catholic, it has very strong, like we are at church. We are not here to mess around. We are <laughs> not here to talk to your brother for the next hour. <laughs> Oh no! Oh god! I, I was wondering how long it was going to be before we start talking about church in, in this <laughs> in this podcast because it has to come, in Final Fantasy Ten. It has to come up, and as an Episcopalian, which is diet Catholic, um, I I strongly understand all that. Um, oh lord! Um, so yeah, we we start moving forward, and and as we go to leave. By the way, real quick. Ken, did you do the thing in, in here where you leave the town and you go back in to get the thing? No. Oh, you didn't do this. Okay. Well, hot tip for anyone out there playing Final Fantasy X. Uh, once you leave the village initially, go right back in and go talk to the shopkeeper. And she will mention that her dog is running around with something in its mouth. And you just go find the dog. And it's like, oh, you got something out of the dog's mouth. And it's like, you got veil four's energy blast attack and you just get a second overdrive for veil four 
bam it's a better one too it's a more powerful (laughs) one (laughs) um i don't know why an overdrive for an aeon was in a dog's mouth i i think that's a thing you're supposed to get later in the game when you come back here for reasons and it's supposed to be like an optional thing but yeah no you can turn around right away because i think the trigger for it is you just have to like be returning to besaid and Mm. you can go get it and yeah (laughs) it's it's very handy to have for things that happen later in the game um anyways we now go into the combat tutorials where we learn about our party members we're going to actually start to grapple with this combat system in a meaningful way and not just in a we're working with what we got way even though it will kind of still be we're working with what we've got until pretty much the end of next episode Mm. um but yeah they they run through a bunch of tutorials where they teach us how to fight different types of enemies and they very quickly lay out like here's a wolf uh, Titus super good at fighting like the dogs and the wolves and the quick little enemies and stuff. Uh, here's a flying type. Titus has trouble hitting that cause he's dumb and has a sword <laughs> knees on the ground, but Waka has a soccer ball. He can throw it in the air and take that thing out. Um, and, and Lulu, uh, is really good against the elemental enemies. That's great. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I, they established that Waka is a ranged fighter, but I don't know that they'd necessarily get across what that means in this game, in this tutorial, because it's, I think it's implied that you, you should use him to attack flyers, but I'm pretty sure Titus can also attack them. Yeah, he can, he can try to attack them. Um, because what they do, like they, I don't remember which enemy it was, but like they do let you, um, use, uh, whatever fucking abilities that Waka has that blinds an enemy and then Titus can hit them. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they kind of like illustrate that like usually Titus can't do this, but if you you know use a status effect, then you can maybe like shift the way things work and mm-hmm. use different strategies in a way. I do think this works really well in just like establishing, you know, the fact that you you have different party members who all have different strengths. Um, we, you know, other Final Fantasy games have party members that you swap in and out and stuff like that, but I feel like party swapping. Uh, is really important in Final Fantasy X specifically. Mm-hmm. Like it was meant to be a part of this combat system that you were always molding and readapting your team to fight whatever you know situation is put in front of you in a way that feels kind of similar to what would eventually become Final Fantasy XIII's battle system of like adjusting your play style on the fly. And also mm. like, you know, final fantasy 10 to leans really heavily into that with like, you know, be what you need a character to be in the moment with the dress sphere system. Mm. Um, it's just a cool way of making the, the concept of an RPG party feel more modular and more about like, you are a cohesive unit. Mm. You might have a front line that's out and fighting right now, but you are always able to reach into the back line and pull someone up and, and not have to wait. So like you can swap a character out it's not like Pokemon where you have to like use up your turn. Right. To swap no penalty out. for it. Right. Like yeah. it, it's encouraging you to be doing that at all times. You yeah, can. It's all right. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you can legitimately like swap between all of your party members. If you want, like just go through all of them really quick and you won't lose your turn or anything like that. Yeah, um, and it's already establishing each of your party members as like being a, like basically if then statements. So, yes. you know, it, yeah. if elemental use Lulu, if fire use Waka. Uh, which I do think makes some of this early combat a little boring, honestly, mm. because 
they then start just presenting you with a lot of situations that are like, it feels like they're testing you a little bit. Like, were you paying attention during this thing? Like here is, here's a party that is a flyer and a wolf and an elemental. And you've got Lulu, Waka and Titus out on the field. How are you going to tackle this? Okay. Here's the big floppy bird. Uh, and you have Yuna in your party. Maybe you should call upon the help of your Aeon for the big floppy bird. And um, yeah, I, I feel like there's a little element of over tutorialization in their combat design after this up through like Luca, but um, it doesn't like kill the vibe at all. Um, and I feel like by the time you get through Luca, you have a really solid grasp of what this combat system is and what you're supposed to be doing and all that so yeah it, it, it's pretty slow but it's it's they do a lot of uh work to hide it um because like for well i mean for one the battle music is incredible uh and mm-hmm. b they like the i i'm sure especially like when it came out the the way they use camera angles and everything's always moving mm-hmm. and how like the the fights are relatively quick for jrpgs uh so everything about this combat communicates like speed in a way that it makes how what you're actually doing, which is just fighting kind of pretty boring, basic mm-hmm. RPG tutorial battles. Uh, it kind of hides that a lot. Yeah. The, the part where at one point during this Kamari shows up and attacks Titus and, and you have like a weird kind of fight between the two that they don't ever really properly explain why Kamari yeah. was trying to murder Titus. And why but... everybody just like didn't stop them. I, I like to think maybe it was like a prank they were all pulling on him or something. I don't know. He just it wasn't felt like Ronzo was just was testing Titus of like, oh, you're with, you know, this person I care about. Like, uh, I'm going to test you to make sure that you don't die. If, if I were to attack you, yeah, or something. you won't be yeah. dead weight. Yeah. 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 Maybe. That's, that's, def- that. that's definitely the slowest kind of like the weirdest. Okay. We're just exchanging blows here. Uh, fight in the game so far. But that is the moment where like, I noticed all the camera angles that they were doing where it pans back and forth between them and stuff like that. And I was like, Oh man, yeah, the camera angles in this game just rule. Um, it, it makes the, the battles feel really dynamic, even when they're kind of straightforward, you know, it's yeah. just everybody kind of standing in their rows and, and jumping back and forth. And, and it's very like methodical in a way, but the, the camera angles make it feel very dynamic. So, um, we do have some story beats here where we stop at the top of the mountain on the way back from Besaide and Lulu tells you to like, take your time a little bit. And, and Titus is like, come on, why are we taking forever? You know, she can always come back and visit. <laughs> Everyone's kind of just quiet. <laughs> um, Waka um, prays at a statue at the peak that you're supposed to pray at for, for a safe trip on the way back. And he says, you know, Chapu didn't do that the day that he left. Uh, so we have a choice here. Ken, did you pray at the statue? I did not. Mm, okay, I did. I'm very much a, like early did. on in this game. I'm a like, you know, especially in this situation with Waka, where he's like mm. clearly it means something to him a little bit. That I'm just like, okay, I'll I'll do it, whatever. Um, yeah. I was just like I. I just like I don't I don't feel like even then like she just has any reason to do a lot of these things like and like he hasn't done anything that he's been told to do up to this point so i don't know why he would suddenly yeah you know make that decision there especially Mm. like he doesn't know who he's praying to like it's just like this is a fucking statue an art fixture and like you know 
in my head he was singing the the lyrics to the space jam theme song Mm. everybody get up it's time to slam now (laughs) yeah i mean you could you could role play that scenario either way of him still not you know not uh understanding the social niceties or like caring about them at all Mm. or like him making a little bit of progress towards okay well now that i know these people a little bit better i'm gonna maybe respect what they're doing here Mm. a little bit more after seeing uh their characters Right. Kind of like, and and also in Yuna finally having someone who isn't like totally just blowing me off, right? Mm. Yeah. Or at the very least, it's just like trying to blend in and not make trouble. If yeah. Like, if that's something that he's concerned about at this yeah. point. And and having had more conversations with the people on this island, being more compelled to do that than mm. he was, you know, uh, versus yesterday when he was kind of just like blowing through the trial of like, well, I don't care what you guys, I don't care about the social niceties. I need to go save this person, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And then we finally get through all the the wilderness of Besaid and and find a nice little shortcut that we apparently just didn't take. <laughs> Went through the Burman Lake instead, you know. Thanks, Waka. But yeah. uh, we we get to the other side. We're back at the docks, and everybody's gonna see us off for the big old boat trip. And you can totally get some money from the villagers. They're standing there on the dock. <laughs> By the way, you can totally grift them. It's great they'll just be like hey give this money to the summoner and you're like yeah sure whatever <laughs> tina's just pocket i'm the summoner <laughs> i i passed that trial i'm a summoner yeah. <laughs> is that all i need to do damn <laughs> if, if i orbs around make money if i push some orbs around and then shove a tree until a bird falls out of it am i a summoner now <laughs> yeah um so yeah that's that's the end of Besaid. That's where we we cut it there. Uh, we'll we'll pick up with the boat trip and Kilika in the next episode. But um, he, here we are now. And, and Serial, I, I said earlier on, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts. You know, what's it like getting into this game again? What's it like e- examining this game again now with the distance that you've had from the first time that you played it? Uh, yeah, it was definitely like. I mean, obviously, this remaster came out in like what 2014, 2015? Yeah. Uh, like, uh, and I, I just hadn't gotten around to it. So this, this feels like one of the strongest hits of nostalgia I've had in a long time of having played this game in like 2003, maybe, uh, and not having played it since. But like the all, all of this stuff came back to me so quickly, and how much I really like these characters and. Uh, it's fun to pick up on a lot of stuff that you missed, um, like how quickly they establish Yuna and how they do a really good job of establishing her through what everyone else thinks of her. You know, that, mm-hmm. that whole party is like ride or die for Yuna immediately in different ways in a way that makes you think like, okay, not only is she being nice to me, she's like this with everyone. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that makes her like a, a popular person on this island for good reason. Um, and like, yeah, the, the combat stuff is, is breezier than I remember it being. I... I don't know if you guys have talked about it, but the sphere grid is definitely the thing that I'm just kind of like, wait, I remember really liking it, but am I going to, was it bad actually was, was kind of the thought that I had (laughs) early on in that tutorial where it's like, they definitely overcomplicated early on where it's like, you can move and then you can put points into orbs. Yeah. Those are two separate actions. I feel like uh, this might even be a good time to talk about it. So there are like aspects of the sphere grid that are kind of nebulous for us to actually talk about in terms of like, Oh, you have nodes that have different things that have to be activated by certain spheres. And also there are blank ones, but you could put you, like, you can yeah. use another sphere to put a node there that you could activate with another sphere. And um, I think 
this is an area where they had a really, really good idea, like a really cool concept that obviously a lot of people have gone on to pretty blatantly use. <laughs> I've played a lot of games ranging from other RPGs to even, um, like I, so for extra life a couple years ago, I did, I played one of the WWE 2k games and their progression system looked like a sphere grid and it freaked me out the first time I opened it. I was like, this character progression thing for the WWE game looks like a sphere grid. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely looks like a proto skill tree in yeah. a lot of ways. Where yeah. It's like in, instead of it being like explicit, like, okay, now your character can do the, like a double jump or whatever. It is, this is how you level up your characters explicitly is by giving them like health bonuses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it does feel like, okay, this is, this is where a lot of that history comes from. But you definitely see like, this is definitely like a dry run at this kind of system yeah. of customizing your characters this way. It's, and in the remaster, they introduced like the expert version, which is yeah. I use the regular one because I am not an expert. Yeah, we we talked about that earlier, and we were like, Wait, "There's no way we're doing the expert yeah. sphere grid." Yeah. I don't know who has the patience for that. Yeah. yeah. Also, it, it, yeah, it reinforces this game's motif, which is I don't know if you guys have talked about this, but spheres pretty mm. prominent. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I've I've heard bl- they're big. <laughs> yeah, the Blitzball Arena is a big old sphere. Uh, you, you're moving spheres around in the trial. Your whole progression system is based on little spheres. But surprisingly, uh, Spira's is of... flat. Weirdest thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the big reveal we were talking about earlier. That, like, everyone's really like solemn about the fact that they're that they might sail off the edge of the earth. <laughs> that's that's what the the aeon's goal is you have to get enough aeons to push sin off the edge of spear <laughs> <laughs> get him out of here uh, but yeah i've yeah the, the voice acting is like kind of hit or miss and i totally get why people dunk on it all, all the time but it's like the amount of voice acting you definitely get a lot of it uh and it definitely feels like this is our big ps2 innovation mm-hmm. is like we have a lot more space on the disc to have tight or titus uh narrate the crap out of this whole game yeah and weirdly enough and ken you maybe you might be able to chime in here on this is is like i feel like there's a distinct disconnect uh, you know for for obvious reasons because of the way that this story is kind of set up um i believe it's supposed to be like you're being told everything up to the point that we see at the beginning of the game Mm -hmm. as like it's being retold to you yeah um and so the the titus of the narration is like noticeably different in mm-hmm. tone and tenor and delivery There's than the that you were... as the narrator. Yeah, which I kind of dig because because there's voice acting and because this is like, you know, they were able to do this, you get to see how the journey changes him over time mm-hmm. and how he grows as a person throughout the course of it um and becomes that person that you hear in the narration versus the person that you're like seeing do the anxiety run <laughs> the anxiety jog yeah. um yeah, yeah. and it, it colors your perception of what is going on at the moment because it's like you're seeing this bratty kid mm. but then like knowing that he eventually well not like explicitly knowing but like uh the the way the narration tone the, the tone of the narration alludes to him having matured Mm-hmm. definitely like ends up coloring a lot of what he's doing as mm-hmm. like growing pains versus like oh this guy's just a dick right <laughs> yeah um i do think that that plays into a lot of it i mean like l- like i mentioned before i think there's 
a large amount of people who played this game and didn't like Tidus as a character. I mean, I still see that sentiment now where I'll, I will see people on message boards and stuff be like, oh, yeah, Tidus, I hate him. He's like my least favorite well, RPG they're the same, protagonist. They're the same fucking people that complain about the laughing scene. Yeah. I well, like. and also they're the same people who watch Evangelion and hate Shinji and don't like fully grasp why they don't like this character. It's like, uh, why is this character so burned by his own anxieties and, and issues all the time? Why can't he just do the thing that I would totally do were mm, I in his yeah. place? And it's like, okay, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, the, the idea of char- of like characters being there for a purpose and having an explicit arc to communicate a message mm. is just completely lost on, like, yeah. why isn't he just, like, hyper-efficient at all things at right. all times? I don't get it. I mean, yeah. we talked about that a lot last season. It's like, I think that disconnect is more prominent in video games than anything else just because like yes. you have play you're playing you a play character, character. Yeah. and you expect them to be an arbor for what you want yeah yeah and the idea that you know like again characters are supposed to have you know issues i mean like guess what every human being has problems every human <laughs> being has shortcomings and oftentimes people who have great you know, aspirations and great achievements have equally great shortcomings in, in some regards. And so uh, that's like that, all of that and, and coping with all that and how we learn and grow or adapt to that is like part of what makes life interesting and part of what makes stories interesting. And so it gets really tiring to hear people like down talk Titus when I do think like, yes, he is annoying at the beginning. Of course he's yeah, supposed to be annoying. Yeah. This is the point. <laughs> like that's the idea. Uh, you're supposed to like see this dream sequence that he has with with Yuna and Riku, which really just lets you know early on what this character is dealing with uh, alongside all of the fish out of water stuff. Uh, he's also got all this internalized um, unresolved, you know, complexes within himself of never living up to his dad's expectations of never really, you know, feeling a sense of, any sort of love from uh, from a person that, that would like recognize him, you know, he needs to find his validation in other people and can never get enough of it and all that. And you're supposed to like really get that early on. And I think that's like why I end up liking this beginning of Final Fantasy 10 and, and how rushed it is and all that for what it is, because I think it just, it works. Like it just mm. gets the, these characters across so fast and, Cutting it here does feel a little bit awkward because we're about to have several scenes on the boat that I think reinforce that, but we'll talk about that next time because we've <laughs> already had a lot to talk about today. Um, and Kilika is also very short once we get off the boat, so <laughs> we, we will need stuff to talk about next week as well. Um, are, are, we, are we fully locked in for next weekend? Can we announce the, the next uh, episode's uh, guests? Are we, are we pretty much locked sure, in? Sure, fuck that? it. Let's go. All right, uh, next episode, which will, uh, on the Spotify feed, air on September 1st, uh, will be Kilika, and we will be having not one, but two guests. We're finally having a four-person cast again for the first, what well, feels like the first time in a long time. I think we had, like, maybe one in the course of The Last of Us, and then otherwise it's mostly been single guests. Uh, but for Kilika, we will be having not only... Mike Williams on my former US gamer coworker. Uh, but we will also be having uh, Ash Paulson on. We'll be having a super RPG time here. Some some real RPG fans up in here. I'm very happy about that. So look forward to that. 
Um, Suriel, real quick, shout out uh, the stuff you do and where people can find all the awesome stuff you do. Yeah, uh, so uh, you can find me on twitter.com slash Suriel Vasquez. Uh, I guess you can just try your best spelling, and then I'm sure Google will autocorrect you and find and show you where which page to go to. Um, either that or you can find me uh, reviewing video games, mostly at Polygon these days. Uh, and uh, I, I, I probably, by the time this goes up, I don't know, I'm not sure when the published date is, but I'll have a review of Axiom Verge 2. Uh, and you can also find me at Midmax uh, with two N's, because we're from, the whole point is that we're from Minnesota. Minnesota. Uh, oh, I us. never, okay. <laughs> you can. Uh, it like, it all it's everyone's first me. time. No. Uh, <laughs> you, yeah, so you can find this, at, you just Google Midmax with two N's, I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Uh, we have a Patreon, we have a YouTube channel, we have a Twitch channel, we have all the socials, so yeah, I'm sure to check all that stuff out. Excellent. As as for us, we are Normandy FM. We are, of course, a retrospective podcast uh, that covers various games currently on Final Fantasy X and its accompanying games and sequels and stuff. And previously, we have done Mass Effect, Dragon Age, Jade Empire, and The Last of Us. Uh, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash Normandy FM, where you can find all our awesome backer stuff. If you, uh, head over there and join the Patreon, you can get into our backer discord where we hang out and share dumb memes and stuff. Uh, at the $5 tier, you can get these episodes as soon as Ken is done editing them. Whenever he does choose to edit them, uh, we, we let Ken have time to edit these. <laughs> it's been the nice part about the two weeks thing mm-hmm. is it feels like Ken is not staying up until two in the morning editing some of these episodes. Um, but we, uh, we also have the highest tier, which gets your name shouted out every every uh, episode and this week that list is once again i almost read the list of guests that we have <laughs> um this week that list is kevin kulikowski chris johns alice hawk colin just colin just the wedge of destiny zach james and kevin hux thank you all so much for contributing and keeping this thing going Serial, I'm glad we finally got you on. I'm, gl- I'm glad we got you yeah. on for this Final Fantasy Fest. Uh, Thanks for having me on. It was a great excuse to go back to a game that I am re-realizing I love. Heck yeah. We we love to support getting people back into these games one way or another. This is like the second time in recent memory I can think of of we our, our guest actually just went and played the darn thing and started playing it again and looking at it. So I was like, dang, you know, I'm happy that people are re-experiencing this stuff. It, ma- it makes me happy. Yeah. Um, so for all of us, for everyone here, for the folks at home, for Ken, Serial, and myself, we will see you next time on Normandy. Normandy.